Hey, Sea Rotors, Jason here, back with another episode on our community podcast. And this week, we are featuring a conversation with my friend Jennifer, all about grief and life and everything in between. So, hello, Jennifer. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm good. Thank you. Um, I think it would be awesome to allow our listeners to have the opportunity just to get to know you a little bit, get familiar with your story. So, what pieces of Jennifer, do we need to know? Like, where did you grow up, your family life, uh, stuff like that? Okay, well, I won't start on that, you know, October morning in 1971 when I was born. I'll fast forward a little bit. <laughs> when, Perfect. Um, I grew up in Kingston. Um, I'm the oldest of two kids and grew up basically your typical middle class Irish Catholic family. And mm-hmm. I went to school in Kingston, went to university, um, yeah, and then wor- work and life brought me to Leeds County, and I've been here for just about 20 years now. Wow. So, um, having grown up in the area, what's one of your favorite spaces here in eastern Ontario? Oh, my goodness. That's, that's hard to say because there's – this is area – is pretty much everything that Ontario has to offer in one place. You know, the lakes, the river, the Canadian shield, everything about it. And Mm -hmm. I really like our little parcel of paradise here in Leeds. I really like it. It's probably my, it's my happy place. There you go. I I agree with you, you know, having, having been a transplant into the area, this is really a microcosm of everything that Ontario has to offer. Um, we have sort of waterfalls. I mean, they're not like the Niagara Falls, but we, you could find things here or there that, you know, are somewhat impressive and and uh, lots of different things. We don't have the mountains, though. I will say that that's a little bit of a miss from being a Western Canadian boy. Well, and every time that I'm speaking with my husband's sister who's in Calgary, we're reminded of that. That Ontario has some nice things, but Alberta's got the scenery. That's that's right. <laughs> um, so we're we're in a series as a a church um, that we're t- walking through the Book of Lamentations, and we are uh, dealing with subjects around grief and stuff like that. Um, they can be a little bit difficult to dig into, a little bit challenging for us to experience. So. I would love if you would just take a few moments and share with us, uh, your Sea Road family, just about your your experience with grief in this last uh, season of life. Well, um, I can go back to 2011. And like I'd said earlier, I was the oldest of two kids. And in 2011, my younger brother, who was 37 at the time, um, suffered heart failure. And mm. he was put on life support. And for two weeks, he was on life support, and then he passed away. And um, that really rocked our world. And at the time, I didn't handle grief well. I did pretty much your things you don't do when you're grieving. And it ended up turning. I didn't didn't handle it the way that I know now I should have. And... You know, I started drinking really heavy and it got to be a real problem. And I had to make changes in my life. In 2014, I got help and I made those changes. 
And that, I think, really changed the way things were for me. And as much as my husband and I were going to see roads since 2000, when we moved into the area, um, I found it a different place to be. And I looked mm. forward to it. And I found that it really helped me. The sermons helped me get through what I was trying to get through and overcoming the stuff that I've been going through in my life. And then you fast forward to 2021. And at the time, my husband had said to me that, you know, it, it wasn't to the point where I'd lost everything in my life, but I was so close to losing everything in my life. Um, but I got help. So in 2021, I was at work and I got a phone call. My husband had been having some dizzy spells and he'd gone to the hospital. And 2021, uh, May 25th, I got the phone call telling me that Phil had a brain tumor. And yeah. it was, he was at Brockville Hospital, and I was in Toronto working, and I drove back to pick him up at the hospital. And I said to him, so what do you think? Are you okay? And he said, God's in control. And his acceptance of it was, it, it floored me. He wasn't upset. He wasn't scared. Maybe he hit it all really well, but he accepted things from right from the very beginning that, no, nope, this is, I don't know. He said to me, I don't know who this is for. I don't know whether it's for me. I don't know whether it's for people in my life. I don't know what God's plan is, but it's his plan and I accept it. Mm -hmm. And that was the best thing that could have happened for me because um, I immediately went off work as his caregiver, a month after his diagnosis, we found out that he had glioblastoma and he, they couldn't operate. It was a um, terminal brain cancer and they gave him a life expectancy of nine months. Mm. And that's, I was two years from retirement. He'd been retired and all of a sudden, everything that you thought was your future is taken from you. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I'm, unbelievably grateful for the experience. I know that other people would say you're crazy, but yeah. I'm grateful. I can't imagine what it would be like to come home and found your spouse dead in the house, or he mm -hmm. used to cut wood because we were planning on, we have five acres on our property and we were planning on severing half of it and building our retirement home. And so he'd mm -hmm. be out cutting trees down all day. Though so anything could have happened. But Phil's attitude was, and his belief right to his core was, I'm invincible till God says I'm not. Hmm. And I said to him, well, yeah, but you can't just tempt it. You know, like you're not that invincible, but I understand it now. So for nine months, we uh, walked that journey and it was, it was painful, but he never once gave up his belief that it was part of God's plan. And mm. people would say to me, how come you're not, you're not angry? You're not, you're so calm about it. And I said, well, it's, if I get angry at this, that means I'm angry at God's plan in my life. And how can I be angry about that? You know, I, I would question why, why now, mm. why me? You know, we weren't, we could have been in a better place in our lives. Um, mm. No, no mortgage, everything was exactly what we had planned for. And then everything gets ripped out from underneath us. Mm. And just after nine months um, from his diagnosis, 
on February 28th of last year, he had deteriorated to the point where we had to go to palliative care. And he made it uh, six days in palliative care in Brockville. And he passed away one day before his birthday on March 7th. And looking back on it now, um, we and the other thing that I was really grateful for was that we had that time to talk. We mm-hmm. had that time to discuss plans. Uh, we had time to make amends for things in our past. We had time. And I will forever be grateful for that because I don't know how you would go through it if you suffered, suffered a sudden loss. Um, Ironically, not ironically, but in 2014, my best friend, we've been friends now for 45 years, went to all through school together, university together. We were in each other's weddings. She lost her husband to cancer in 2014. And I, I reached out to her and I said, Deb, how do you come to terms with all your plans for the future being taken from you? And she replied back and said, you don't. Mm. And I went, ah, that's not what I wanted to hear, but it's what I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And I think that had I not had the intense spirituality that I've gained over the last nine years of my life, um, I would have been more upset about this. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced that me understanding and accepting God's will for Phil and I was key to me getting through it. Because if it was my will, he wouldn't get sick. Nobody would get sick. We'd live forever. We, you know, all of those things. But from the minute he was diagnosed, I knew that whatever would happen would be God's will, not mine, not his. And mm-hmm. uh, the turning point for me was when I stopped praying for that miracle that I believed could happen if it was God's will. And I started praying for compassion and mercy for Phil, that God wouldn't let him suffer. Mm-hmm. And that was a big turning point in that nine month journey for me, because it showed that I loved him enough to be able to say goodbye and not be, and not be, um, selfish about it mm-hmm. and I, I think that and David said to me that she doesn't know how people suffer intense grief um, without any type of faith because mm-hmm. we know there's something bigger for us down the road and I you know after he passed away it's it's something like you've never experienced like the grief that I suffered with my brother's death was different than this and somebody had sent this to me and if you have a chance i'd just like to read it um sure the death of a spouse or partner is different than any other loss in the sense that it literally changes every single thing in your world going forward when your spouse dies the way you eat changes the way you watch tv changes your friend circle changes or disappears entirely and your family dynamic and life changes or disappears entirely Your financial status changes. Your job situation changes. It affects your self-worth, your self-esteem, your confidence, your rhythms, the way you breathe, your mentality, your brain function. And I can can actually say that widow brain is real. (laughs) Um, Mm. If you don't know what that is, 
count yourself very lucky. Your physical body, your hobbies, your interests, your sense of security, your sense of humor, your sense of womanhood or manhood, every single thing changes. And you're handed a new life that you never asked for and you didn't particularly want. It's the hardest, most gut-wrenching, horrific, life-altering of things to live with. And I can say that that is all true. And I didn't expect all of that. You know, I still, even now, I still buy groceries for two. Because we don't have kids. Phil has uh, two kids that are grown adults living out of the area. So all of a sudden you go from being, um, especially with brain cancer, because brain cancer is so much different in the fact that, and Phil's was all frontal lobes. So it affected his personality, mood and behavior and his Mm -hmm. um, decision making. So you're dealing with someone that's very much like a dementia victim cancer Mm. victim and i will forever forever be grateful to god that phil never lost his memory right up until the very few hours before he slipped into the coma before his death he still knew who i was and that Mm. is beyond gratitude because i don't Mm -hmm. know how i would have handled it if he didn't know who i was you know and Mm -hmm. so you get you, you know, with the, having the seizures that he had and everything, he could he couldn't drive, nor would I want him to. But I became overnight. I became a chauffeur, a doctor, mm-hmm. a nurse. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things that I wasn't prepared for. But um, you know, the coincidences of things that happened throughout this, um, I don't look at them as coincidences anymore. It was all part of God's plan. I remember like we, we like to be, you know, have our anonymity and Phil texted me one Sunday and said, well, my anonymity is blown. <laughs> what do you mean? I was at work and he said, well, Faye recognized me. She needed his sister's contact info. And then after he was diagnosed, um, his sister from Calgary flew in and she's known Faye and Lawrence most of her life. And it was all part of the plan because mm. Next thing I know, Daphne's dropping off a book to me, Prayers of um, Prayers of Hope for Caregivers. That book that the church sent to me saved me because every single scenario and every single thing in that book was something I was going through, either multiple times a day or throughout the course of my week. And it became my go-to. And I just sat and prayed and prayed for strength for everything that we were going through. Um, you know, friends that had been put into my life, but weren't really that close suddenly became very close after Phil passed away. And I came Mm -hmm. to learn that their spirituality and their faith is number one in their lives. And they've helped support me after his death. And all those times that Phil and I talked in those nine months, one day he said to me that he believes that all of this was in fact God's plan, that he needed to go through what he went through with me after my brother's death to put God first in his life again before anything else. And when I had to go through in order for me to be here to support him when he was going to be sick and Mm. through Phil's illness and passing, um, I put God first in my life before everything else. And I had to go through that experience to have that realization for me. Mm-hmm. And it, it's incredible. Like, it just makes me smile thinking of how much, um, what, what good came out of a horrible situation. 
And do, uh, do I get upset? Yeah, I cry every single day. Mm-hmm. But it's not debilitating anymore. Mm-hmm. I see, you know, I look back at memories and I no longer see those not final nine months. I remember the last 27 years that we were together. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's a, they say, oh, it's a process. Yeah, it's not lineal. That's for sure. It's, I like mm-hmm. to think of it as like an indigenous dream catcher that one day mm-hmm. you're here and the next day you're down here and the next day you're over here. Like it's not, it's not that type of a process. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, first of all, I just want to, I just want to extend and express my condolences all the way back to your brother's passing in 2011 and then Phil's most recent passing. Um, Thank you for your bravery and your courage to share pieces of your story with that process with us. There's a few things that you shared that I just want to press in on, if if you wouldn't mind. Uh, you, you talk about the last nine years in particular being years where you felt like, for, here's my term for it, you were in like a spiritual formation rocket ship, like lots of growth was happening. And you talked a little bit about like, this experience with Phil in particular being a catalyst for you um, to realign and reignite. What were some of those milestones along the way, those shifts that you found yourself making in the process? Things were happening in my life that could not be explained by anything other than God's work. Um, There was after my best friend's husband passed away, uh, a lady who I'd come in contact with over the month before was standing in her kitchen and she had this overwhelming feeling that she needed to contact me and she can't explain it. She just had to reach out to me and she sent me a text and I had just left the funeral and I thought, what's the point? You know, it's, it was so overwhelming to lose my best friend's husband out of my life because we he'd been part of my life since we were 16. Um, but I thought, what's the point in trying to get better? What's the point in trying to recover from addiction or anything like that? And that's when that woman heard uh, my friend had this feeling that she needed to reach out to me. And that changed my path from that moment on. Um, I, I came to realize, I mean, anybody that struggles with anything, um, you don't want to be there. You want to get help, but you don't know how to get help, right? And um, my recovery all came through me turning my life over and saying, I'm not in control. God's Mm -hmm. in control. And accepting that and surrendering to God's plan for me. Um, So then as when you fast forward those nine years, um, having grown up, Phil grew up in the standard church. And me growing up in the Catholic Church, um, it was it was definitely a different experience because I don't believe that growing up in the Catholic Church that I was ever taught to have a relationship with God. It was it was just a different type of experience. And after we started going to Sea Road, and especially in the last ten years, um, it mirrored my recovery in that I don't need the middleman to speak with God and Mm. it changed the way that I pray and it changed all of those things. And so sea road was there and I, the things I was hearing were things that I needed to hear. And it was about how to get through life when life Mm. uh, generally isn't all that great. 
you know, <laughs> the bad things mm-hmm. happen and how do you get through mm-hmm. it? So when, um, a couple, it was November last year, friends of mine that I'd met in the, the years leading up to this, uh, they came to see Phil and I, and Kathy brought me a book by Sarah Young called Jesus Calling. And it's a mm. daily devotional. And I started going through it for two reasons. One, Phil was having trouble realizing what day it was, you know, what month it was. And so I'd start off our day opening my little brown book and starting off saying, okay, today is Monday, June 7th. And today is brought to you by Proverbs 1722. And we do the mm. reading and then we discuss it. And he said to me, I never thought I would see the day that you were doing this. And I smiled and he said, God has great things planned for you. And I thought, oh, I have no idea what that is, but I trust that. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought, you know, great things at the time. I thought great things on this, in this life. And through my experience in the last coming up on 18 months, 19 months, those great things are not in this world. Mm-hmm. They're what comes next. And there's a lot of hope in that. And it keeps mm. me focused. <laughs> so I think That's- that having, and then once um, I just started digging into the U version Bible app, and I've done mm. 84 plans on that app, everything from wow. overcoming loss to spiritual Mm -hmm. warfare, to Mm -hmm. the Bible in one year, which I just started on January 1st, that if anybody that is going through grief, I, I can only say what I've done, but that has helped me beyond any other book I could be given to read was going through and working through those plans. Wow. Yeah, no, you know, I thank you for saying that because like, you know, sometimes as a pastor, when you tell people like, well, you should start reading the Bible, like it's, it's almost like they don't hear you because they expect that answer from you. So here you've shared openly and honestly this story with us of your journey through grief in the last number of years in your life and what you have just said it's been super helpful the two things i've heard community and reading the bible Uh, and that's really cool so i want to press into the community one just for a moment 2021 that's when phil has his diagnosis we all know what was happening worldwide at that time lots of different challenges (laughs) right creating connection and community so how did that look like and what did that play out Uh, you've mentioned already that post his passing, some of these friends that were peripheral in your life have now become, uh, you know, the, almost like the, this gravity, you've, you've really bonded together. What role did community play, or maybe even the absence of community? We were, we were all dealing with that to some degree through the pandemic. Um, what was your experience like? Well, unfortunately, um, you know, living in rural Ontario, um it wasn't easy to have support like then my parents are in Kingston Phil's oldest mm-hmm. sisters in Sydenham and she was great because she was able to come when I needed to get out to go to appointments and things like that but um every time that I reached out to get help from a personal support worker to come in 
for respite, they would cancel. And so mm. we couldn't get the in-home help that we would have had the world not been going through the pandemic. But I'm, I'm actually grateful for that because all of the things that I thought were important in life weren't all that important anymore. It was me being here to support him and having, you know, we couldn't have people come in and, and visit with us. Uh, I think if things had been open because one, his immune system was down to nothing going through treatment mm. and people didn't want to bring in illness. And so there was that kind of disconnect. And I know that that's probably normal without the pandemic, the people that, Everyone was really supportive. Um, I made a, a set my boundaries that I was not going to reply to messages until after I got him into bed at night, gave him his meds, and then I sit, sat and had my time to do my readings and reply to messages then and give people the updates. But um, I don't know how we did it before technology. Mm -hmm. Well, I know people mm -hmm. would be calling the house, but it's so much easier to text and say, hey, how you doing? Oh, you really right. want to know? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the, because Phil came from such a strong church background, that the people that reached out to me from his family um, kept me lifted. And the people that would drop off things at the house, you know, and say, well, I'm praying for you. Those prayers were key. I remember in the beginning, someone said, well, I'm sending you positive vibes. And I laughed and I told his cousin, Al, Al, um, Alvin, who's a pastor, retired pastor now, I said, vibes? I don't want vibes. I want prayers. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but I know that people, that, that community of just knowing people were there if you needed mm -hmm. them uh, as much as they could be. And most of it, because we couldn't have people into the home or go to people's homes or meet in public or anything like that at least knowing somebody was on the other end of the phone when I needed it. Um, that was helpful. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I, I'm so, I'm so glad that that was your experience because um, others haven't had that experience where they've, that the isolation going through trauma was, was that much more debilitating. And so I'm glad to hear that that wasn't the case for you. And you, you found the ways to make the most of it using the technology that was available to us. And I love your boundary. Of, of not replying to message until after uh, Phil was in bed and you had your time to kind of decompress your day. Um, you mentioned earlier, uh, Jennifer, that grief is so multifaceted and no single grief journey would be the same. Sometimes they're gradual, sometimes they're instantaneous. Um, I love that you shared with us the gift uh, the journey that you and ha you and Phil had in this last little bit of having the time to have deep conversations, uh, the gift that his memory was still there um, right up until uh, uh, the end, which was fantastic. Do you have any encouragement for other people that might be experiencing their own journeys of grief right now, whether that's been unplanned, instantaneous? I think all Grieving journeys are somewhat unplanned, but not all are instantaneous. Um, any other uh, pearls of wisdom that you would offer <laughs> to them? Um, you know, I thought a lot about this over the last coming up on one year. And 
I think that it's normal to go through the feelings that you're going to have when you lose someone. Um, you know, one of the first times that someone said to me, oh, I understand how you're feeling. I lost my pet. I, I'm glad I didn't lash out or react mm -hmm. in anger because um, it was, you know, I can sit and I can laugh now. But to be honest, over the last year, there was some really dark times. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I've had meltdowns. I've, uh, but it, I know that that's normal and it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. I just, at those moments I go, okay, God, I need you. I need you to directly intervene right now. And it would happen inevitably. And, and even all of the struggles that you have afterwards, be thankful for those struggles because the next time a struggle comes up, you go, Hey, I made it through that. I can make it through this too. Yeah. Um, I think that being grateful, being thankful, uh, and accepting that I wasn't the first person to lose a husband. Mm -hmm. I, that's part of life. We aren't promised an easy go in this life. And, that's right. but we can make it through with God's help. Yeah. That's no matter how bad things are, um, don't be afraid to reach out for help. I, I got grief counseling before I went back to work because I wanted to make sure that I was in the right frame of mind. But I asked for them to assign a social worker, a counselor who was faith-based because my mm. faith had gotten me to this point. I wanted to continue on. So asking mm -hmm. for help and being, give it, cutting yourself some slack. Don't expect mm -hmm. that grief is going to, go away that it's a timeline um like my best friend debbie said to me you don't time doesn't heal wounds you've got these scars but you learn to live mm -hmm. with your scars and i look at those scars now as my memories and my and i'm proud to have them because mm. it's it's gotten me to where i am right now that's so good uh, i was just reminded as you were sharing all of those pieces of the the section of scripture where, where it's a it's a promise that we're given that god will be close to the brokenhearted everything is planned until it isn't right and when when we're living in that unplanned state or unexpected state we can cling to the promises that god gives us and confirms to us through the bible and even through the people in our lives and i'm so glad to hear that that's been a part of your journey, um, Jennifer. So thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. And thank you, Sea Roaders, uh, for listening. I hope you are inspired to look to Jesus even when the darkness seems overwhelming uh, because there is hope at the end of the journey, uh, even if the struggle is painful and unrelenting at times. We love you and we're praying for you. And as Jennifer said, reach out if you need some help. God bless.